All right, this video we're going to talk about um, cardiomyopathies. So cardiomyopathies is a condition caused by some type of dysfunction in the heart muscle itself. So think of while we go through all of these conditions, just try to remember that this is a problem with the muscle. Okay, the first condition we're going to go over is dilated cardiomyopathy. So, um, this is also known as non-ischemic dilated cardiomyopathy. So, in this condition, the heart is unable to con contract as strong as it's supposed to. So, there is a dysfunction in the sarcomere, so the cell muscles of the heart, and the body reacts by increasing ventricular volume to maintain the cardiac output. So the muscle isn't able to pump as it should, so the body compensates by increasing the volume. Um, any cause of left ventricular dilation with systolic dysfunction is known as dilated cardiomyopathy. So let me just repeat that. Dilated cardiomyopathy is any case of left ventricular dilation with systolic dysfunction. It's important to note it's systolic dysfunction instead of diastolic heart failure because th these will have to be dis differentiated later in a different video. But... Um, this is kind of a catch-all diagnosis. So if you rule out ischemic causes such as through like cardiac CT, um, echo, cath lab, and there's no ischemia present anywhere, you could, this is kind of a diagnosis that you look for. 95% of cases fall into this category. So... Um, the most common etiologies are alcohol, genetic, hypertension, viral infections. Signs and symptoms. If a patient is compensated, there will be no symptoms. So, like I said before, the heart is unable to contract. The body tries to compensate for not being able to contract as hard by increasing the volume. They think, the body, the heart thinks, ah, oh, I can't push out as hard so what if I increase the amount and contract and try to and tries to compensate that way so increasing volume decreasing contractility for a while will allow for the maintenance of the cardiac output the problem is the heart can't beat like that consistently forever so then our patients become decompensated and this is known as heart failure, which we know some general um, signs and symptoms of that, but we will go over that more in depth later. On physical exam, you might hear an S3 gallop. That's kind of some, a very key thing for this condition is the S3 gallop. To diagnose, best initial test is EKG. I feel as though that the questions will be will not ask like what's the best initial test for this um, condition 
I think they might provide you with an EKG and say there is non-specific ST or T wave changes and they'll kind of give you kind of what the patient signs and symptoms are. You have to know that's dilated cardiomyopathy. So best initial test, EKG, you're going to find non-specific ST, T wave changes. Now, I do I could see them saying that you have a patient with dilated cardiomyopathy and asking the most definitive way to diagnose. And the most definitive way is an echocardiogram where you're going to see decreased cardiac output with poor ejection fraction. That's kind of important. And if you're seeing a patient who's having a decreased cardiac output, poor ejection fraction, they're no longer compensated, which makes sense because if a patient's completely compensated, not having any symptoms as, at all, it's probably rare that they're coming to you with cardiac complaints. So most of the time you're going to see these patients when they're decompensating, having active signs and symptoms. Um, other diagnostic things, you can see some cardiomegaly on chest x-ray, kind of nothing that too... Um, important I feel that they could be asking questions about treatment you're going to use an ACE or an ARB plus a beta blocker so that's kind of your general um, know if you know the heart failure treatment which we will get into later that's when they're presenting decompensated you're treating it as a heart failure so as long as you know ACE and ARM plus a beta blocker I feel like that's good enough. Complications are heart failure, ventricular arrhythmias. This is important because you increase your risk of ventricular arrhythmias when the ejection fraction is below 35%. I feel like this could be a question. At what ejection fraction do you increase ventricular arrhythmia risk? 35%. This is important. Ventricular arrhythmias such as VTAC can lead to sudden death we know. Another complication is systemic embolism. You know, stagnation equals bad. Always bad. Anything stagnant in the body is not good. Now, I just kind of want to go over some things that I think are will be like big testy key point things that I would just kind of have in your back of your mind. So in my head, They might give you a patient who has a history of alcohol use disorder, no cardiac history, no recent illness, is now presenting with shortness of breath and bilateral bilateral extremity edema. So in my mind, they're going to give you a patient, alcohol use right there, that's one of the most common etiologies of this condition, and now they're presenting with heart failure symptoms. And and they're going to ask, like, what's the most likely diagnosis? you'll have to give dilated cardiomyopathy. Another exam thing that I think they may give is a patient presents and on exam you hear a low-intensity, low-pitched, extra heart sound early in diastole. So there they're describing an S3 gallop. This is important to note that it is early in diastole. Okay, So let me repeat, low intensity, low pitched, extra heart sound early in diastole. This is important because um, the S4 sound is late in diastole. So S4 is not 
associated with dilated cardiomyopathy. So S3 gallop, heard on physical exam, it's a low intensity, low pitched, extra heart sound early in diastole. And I just want to note that two um, medications that you should really avoid giving to a patient with dilated cardiomyopathy are your NSAIDs and your calcium channel blockers. So just memorize that. I really don't think they'll be asking you why, so just know. NSAIDs, calcium channel blockers, not for dilated cardiomyopathy. Okay, next up is restrictive cardiomyopathy. So this one is diastolic dysfunction with a rigid or stiff heart. So um, when I was going over and learning this topic, I kept going back to this image of, I'm not sure how useful this is going to be, but you know, like when you get your jeans and like you accidentally like put them through like, like real jeans, I'm talking real cotton jeans right now. You put them through the dryer, you get them out and you just look at them and you're like, these are now three sizes smaller than what they were before I put them in the washer today. And you're like, I know this is going to be a struggle. So you jump in them and you're pulling, you're pushing and these jeans are just stiff and they are rigid and it's hard to get in them. That's kind of how I think of restricted cardiomyopathy. So your heart is now these dried jeans that are two sizes smaller than what they were before. And it's not that they're actually smaller, it's just that it's rigid and hard to get into. Like your jeans, eventually you will be able to get in them. They are the same size, but it's just they're hard now and stiff and it's hard to get in them so that's going on with restrictive cardiomyopathy something in the heart muscle is now stiff and it's not as pliable and it's not contracting like it was before this stiffness is going to inhibit the ventricular filling so this is kind of the opposite of our dilated where too much volume now there's not enough volume so this is diastolic dysfunction caused by a rigid or stiff heart etiology this etiology is pretty important i feel like these are going to be quiz questions amyloidosis sarcoidosis hemochromatosis i don't know i feel like they're a kind of in my mind i'm like Oh, you know who probably put your nice new cotton jeans in the dryer to get all rigid and stiff is your sister. And they all end in cis. So amyloidosis, sarcoidosis, hemochromatosis. That's kind of how I remember them. Um, another etiology that may or may not come up, but I find maybe not as point, as important. This can also occur in diabetics who are constantly in like hyperglycemic states um yeah so signs and symptoms are heart failure symptoms so we won't go over the that in this session um diagnosis so on a bmp like if you order a bmp um, it's going to be greater than 400. Um, so an echo, 
you might see a non-dilated dil- non-dilated heart ventricles. That's kind of important. That's how you're going to differentiate on an exam if it's dilated cardiomyopathy restricted. You see non-dilated diastolic dysfunction, you're pointing more towards restrictive. Um, but you may see dilation of the atria, which to me, the, that is just some key finding that I'm going to use when I'm sitting down taking a test. If it's saying dilation of the atria, I know dilated cardiomyopathy doesn't have that. So that is something different that I can pick out on an exam. So on echo, restrictive cardiomyopathy, non-dilated ventricles, dystolic dysfunction, dilation of the atria. I added this in here because I did see some sources talking about that on MRI you see a gadolinium hyper enhancement. I don't think that's too important. Don't lose sleep if you can't remember that. I'm mentioning it so that potentially when you see it on the test you recognize it. So gadolinium hyper enhancement on MRI. Although I do find that this maybe a test question is the definitive diagnostic is a biopsy. So think restrictive cardiomyopathy. We're thinking our sisters put our pants in the dryer. It's rigid. The most common causes are kind of auto these autoimmune conditions. Amyloidosis, sarcoidosis, hemochromatosis. How, uh, how do we diagnose these? Definitively diagnose sarcoidosis. You have to take a piece of it. You have to take a piece of it. You have to find out what it is. You're not going to be able to just take a picture at the heart, look at the cells in the heart, and know which one of those three it is. You have to get a piece of it. Um, I also, this is kind of like the MRI thing. I'm just going to mention this. Don't lose sleep over memorizing it. But now that you heard it, you might be able to recognize it. So on biopsy for amyloidosis, you'll see an apple green bifringence with Congo red stain on light microscopy. Apple green bifringence, Congo red stain. Hopefully you can just recognize it now that I said it. Yeah. Treatment. So this is supportive. You might use diuretics for symptom relief, some rate control things, but there's no specific like treatment that you kind of need to memorize. I did see on a few test questions, like practice tests, um, them going a step further. So they're going to give you this whole clinical scenario that points you to restrictive cardiomyopathy. They have the history of amyloidosis. They have all the signs and symptoms of heart failure. You're here in an, oh, I also did, you'll hear an S4 on physical exam. So physical exam, finding S4 more common than S3. Anyway, back to the point. So they're going to give you this whole clinical scenario that you're, it's screaming at you, restrictive cardiomyopathy. And they're going to ask you, how are you going to treat it? And say they tell you it's amyloidosis. You're going to have to know, go one step farther and know that a common treatment for amyloidosis is steroids. So I just have in the back of your mind, um, like, amyloidosis, sarcoidosis, you're going to steroids, glucocorticoids, um, hemochromatosis, phlebotomy. So the questions might go a little bit further. So, and then bringing that up, so S4, remember, this is going to be 
kind of a similar murmur to the S3 that we talked about earlier, but this one's going to be late in diastole. So late in diastole, if they describe it. Um, test questions. I All the practice ones that I have taken, it's always said, patient has a history of amyloidosis. Their echo shows blank, blank, blank. What is the diagnosis? And you have to be able to say restrictive cardiomyopathy. The other questions, I think, definitive diagnosis, biopsy, and then treatment for each condition itself, steroids, phlebotomy. I think if you knew that, you'll be pretty much good for questions around this topic. Okay, and last but not least is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is the bad one. It's the most common cause of sudden cardiac death in athletes. Um, this is why they recommend um, like EKG assessments in um, athletes in high school. This is also called hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. So if you see those terms, they do mean the same thing. This is an autosom autosomal dominant disorder. So this is a genetic condition. It's on chromosome 14 and it affects the sarcomeres proteins. Um, I only say that because I did see a few question that questions that asked like where did the mutation occurred and it was the sarcomeres. So autosomal dominant on chromosome 14 affects sarcomere proteins. And this is an abnormal thickening of the muscle without any other causes. So if you see in the patient's history they have long-standing hypertension or severe aortic stenosis, that is not hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. That, let me repeat that. Long-standing hypertension or severe aortic stenosis is not hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. This is a genetic condition that leads to the abnormal thickening of the muscle wall. It most often affects the left ventricle and the septum. So this leads to a left ventricle outflow obstruction, diastolic dysfunction, and myocardial ischemia. So pathophysiology. So something you really have to get into is like this left ventricle outflow obstruction and how this occurs. Um, my understanding and how I have come to understand it is so... If you can picture the heart in your mind, the aortic valve kind of lives right next to the septum. It's like right there beside it. Um, you can kind of picture that in your mind, how blood flows through the heart, aortic right beside the septum. So as that septum starts to enlarge, and especially enlarges in the left ventricle, um, it starts to obstruct... Uh, the blood flow out of the aortic valve. And so that's kind of how this left ventricle outflow obstruction occurs. That muscle, that septum wall is thickening. It's kind of closing off that area. Less blood th flow can get through the area. So you have an outflow obstruction. There is also um, the, so the whole ventricle itself is enlarging, which kind of puts pressure on the mitral valve also, pushing that anteriorly furthering the outflow obstruction so that's kind of something that will also be talked about how is like the anterior motion of the mitral valve 
also increases the outflow obstruction. So um, another patho thing that we should talk about is that the electrical conduction through the thickened muscle leads to ventricular arrhythmias, and this is what leads to the sudden cardiac death. Signs and symptoms. It's scary because most are asymptomatic. Um, This is why we want to do regular screening. Um, If they are symptomatic, one of the biggest symptoms that I have continuously seen throughout practice questions is syncope. So you have these patients, they have this syncopal event, no se- they'll say no seizure-like activity, and then it goes on to you have to pick out the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But other symptoms that kind of you may see dyspnea on exertion, fatigue, rarely chest pain, but can occur. Um, on physical exam, you get that S4 sound. This is, this is due to the atria contracting against that stiff ventricle. So the ventricle is not, it's just larger, which also makes it a little bit stiffer. Um, so you'll get that S4. You can have the pulses, pulses of bifurans. So that's kind of just like a memory thing to know. I'm not going to go into like more detail about that. So pulses, bifurans, cardio, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The murmur. This, I feel, is a big, big test question. So, when you, this is an outflow murmur. So, outflow, that means when the heart is pumping, that means it's systolic. So, outflow, the heart is pumping. When is the heart pumping? During systole. So, it's heard best at the left sternal border. I'm not going to go into it. Honestly, I'm not going to remember the crescendo, decrescendo, all of these other different little things. I always think, is the heart pumping? Is it not pumping? And then things like, is so in this case, it's pumping. It's systolic. It it's like, it's left outflow obstruction. Where's the left ventricle flowing out of? It's the aortic heard best at the left sternal border. Now, this murmur is the paradoxical murmur. So what I mean by that, this is the only murmur that increases with Valsalfa. So it took me a while to really understand what was going on here. So the murmur increases when preload decreases. When does preload decrease? When you're standing during Valsalva. The murmur decreases when you increase preload. So you're squatting. So more blood that's going back to the heart, the murmur decreases. So what I try to picture here is, um, this is a small area. So the septum, it's nice and big and juicy and blood's having a hard time getting out of the left ventricle. I think that The way I think of it is a man on steroids who's big and buff, he's going to have to be the one to come push that huge septum out of the way to get out of the heart. So the only way to get out of this big, juicy left ventricle is to be a big man on steroids that can push the septum out of the way and push out of the heart. Well, who's going to be that big man on steroids? A lot of blood. So I or like you could also think of it is 
one kindergartner by themselves going to be able to push that big septum out of the way to get out of the heart? Or would you prefer 30 kindergartners? I think 30 kindergartners are going to have a lot more force and be able to get out of that heart causing the more, causing it. Okay, so the 30 kindergartners, they push through. They have an easier time getting through. Less turbulent, less murmur. The one kindergarten is going to have a harder time getting through. More turbulence increased murmur okay so only murmur that increases with valsalva diagnosis 95 percent will be shown on ekg you're gonna see a left ventricular hypertrophy. it's known as a strain pattern if you want to get into the little details you can look that up it's a lot um you may get abnormal q waves on echo you're gonna see hypertrophy with asymmetrical wall thickness um treatment so the goal is to increase ventricular filling time you're going to do this with a beta blocker like metoprolol or the non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers most often verapamil um but the gold standard so if the question is asking you what is the gold standard for treatment it's the septomyomectomy so you're going to take out that thickened um heart septum if there if it is end stage so in the description they're telling you that they've tried every medication and this patient is like really sick end stage disease transplant um if you have a patient that's coming and you, you, they just seem uh, like they give you a patient scenario and they seem high risk so like they're very very symptomatic um e they're symptomatic even when they're not exerting themselves you're gonna insert a defibrillator um to prevent like these serious ventricular arrhythmias from occurring uh, things to avoid, um, digoxin or nitrates. I could see this very much being a question. Uh, what is contraindicated in, what contraindicated in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Nitrates, digoxin, those positive ionotropes. You don't want the heart to pump stronger than it already is. It's already too strong. So things that are going to make it stronger, um, like digoxin, nitrates, the, again, with that preload, you know, decreasing preload increases murmur. Don't, don't do it. No nitrates. Another thing is if you have a patient scenario and they say, what do you tell this 15-year-old boy who you just did a random EKG on? You see they have, have light left ventricular hypertrophy. Cease sports and activity, especially those with burst exertion so they are not allowed to do gym class they are not allowed to do sports anymore because this is dangerous it is the most common cause of sudden cardiac death in athletes do not do it test wise these are going to be young kids it is going to give you like the patient scenario is going to be like 12 to 25 these aren't the kids like People with the other conditions that we talked about probably aren't going to be in the same age range. They're going to give you um, a patient, a 
17-year-old boy who was playing basketball who had a syncopal event and has a history of his dad dying when he was well, his dad died when he was playing football when he was around the same age as him that's the type of test like background they're going to give you they're going to explain the murmur to you so no they're going to say they have this their 17-year-old patient who comes in you listen to his heart it's a systolic murmur on the left sternal border it increases with valsalva you need to know that um also they're gonna say you had a patient you're you were at a sporting event a 19 year old patient claps he's in sudden cardiac arrest what is the most common cause you have to pull out hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or they're gonna ask you what screening pattern what screening tool do you want to do ekg um so yeah those are the big things that i would look at look for when talking about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy okay and that is all of the um cardiomyopathies so just a quick little recap dilated cardiomyopathy non-ischemic catch-all diagnosis most time idiopathic can be caused by alcohol this is a systolic dysfunction so you're gonna get left ventricle dilation with a systolic dysfunction heart is loosey-goosey i think of it um you're going to have an s3 gallop that is early in diastole um definitive diagnosis is with an echo where you're going to see decreased cardiac output with poor ejection fraction treatment you're going to get an ace or an r with a beta blocker okay restrictive cardiomyopathy is diastolic dysfunction these are your really stiff rigid pants that you're going to try to squeeze into it's inhibiting ventricular filling you're unable to fill those pants um most common causes your sister your sister put the pants in the dryer amyloidosis sarcoidosis hemochromatosis how do you treat those glucocorticoids you're going to do that prednisone you're going to do that phlebotomy um diagnostics you're going to get that s4 you're going to have a BMP greater than 400. Definitive biopsy. You're going to look for those different cellular patterns. You can't diagnose amyloidosis, sarcoidosis, hemochromatosis without getting a piece of that meat. Treatment supportive. Um, diuretics. Um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Most common cause of sudden cardiac death in athletes. It's an autosomal dominant disorder. Chromosome 14. You're going to get abnormal thickening. This heart is a thick boy that can kill you. Very dangerous. You're going to get the left ventricle outflow obstruction. Two reasons. Septum's big and juicy. It's going to cover it. The mitral valve pushes over. Covers it. Two things that cause left ventricle outflow obstruction. Most are asymptomatic, may get dipsy on exertion, or syncope, testing love syncope, the murmur, the only murmur that increases with Valsalva. It's a systolic heard best at the left sternal border. 95% are seen on EKG. Echo is going to show asymmetrical wall thickness, hypertrophy treatment. You're going to start with a, you're going to try to increase the ventricular filling with a beta blocker or the 9-dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. Gold standard, septal myomectomy, avoid digestion, digoxin, or nitrates.